if I wrote a book, yeah, I would I would talk about the age of creative becoming sexy. I love that. Would you, would you call it that? No, really, like literally, it would, <laughs> it would be it would it would some it would be something around like when I think that the age of social media, the mm-hmm. age of a lot of emphasis on visual, mm-hmm. has brought about an appreciation for those who are able to make it sexy literally right you know? um so that then in turn the profession um of being or the profession but creatives professional creatives i guess so to speak now are in that you know that desired light so to speak hi everyone and welcome to inner wealth the forbes ignite podcast i'm your host nicole kakal ceo of forbes ignite and every week i'll be sharing with you my conversations with unique creative and innovative people across all different industries. These are people who are intellectually curious explorers who are also redefining what it means to be successful today. From personal to professional, we cover it all to understand what drives our guests to blaze their own trails and create nimble solutions within the industries that touch each of our lives. Our guest today is Ivy Owino, AKA DJ Poison Ivy, who works with the NBA team, the Dallas Mavericks. When I spoke to Ivy a few weeks ago, we talked about pretty much everything, including the preconceived notions of working in a creative field. Many people assume that working as a DJ, she's either pursuing it as a hobby or as a part-time gig, but what they don't know is she's a force to be reckoned with. She's achieved a lot by naturally following what she loves most and manifesting her purpose, while also knowing that what we achieve is very much determined by the systems we live in. She mentions we should be asking ourselves, are there systems in place to help prune and pick and develop and explore our purpose? I love speaking with Ivy because she's funny, very smart, extremely thoughtful, and most importantly, she knows her worth. I know you're going to love what she has to say. Here's our chat. Awesome, so we're now recording. So again, thank you so much for hopping on the phone or hopping on a call with me. It's been a while. Um, it has been a while. feels like it hasn't, but it has. I mean, the reason why I love speaking with you is because we can basically talk about anything. We can anything. talk about anything, <laughs> but it's all super relevant to yeah. what we're trying to achieve. So when did yeah. you know? What, how did you get into what you're doing now? And when did you know, I'm really good at this and this is what I want to do and this is what I want to explore? Man, you know, it's funny because only me, the only man can I look back and say, I guess when, when your purpose is your purpose, it has really manifested really all throughout your life. Um, and I, I, I really do truly believe that's the case for more, most people. I think the difference maker is, do you have systems in place to help you prone and, and pick and develop and explore that? And so for me, you know, I was born in Nairobi, Kenya. You know, I, I don't like to refer to it as the third world. I think that's setting us back. So, but to to put it into perspective, it as to why it's important to note that is because no, nobody thought that Bo- Ivy at one years old would somehow get to America and work in the NBA. <laughs> you know what I mean? So I, I only say that to shed light on that fact. But um, my mother. Um, had my, my godmother actually one of my mom's best friends is I and I don't really know exactly what her accolades are I should probably know this but all I do know is that 
in the music world, specifically the piano world. Um, it was one of the early, like the earliest, most accomplished Kenyans in terms of like studying piano and excelling at piano. And um, she advised my mother to get me involved in music early. But her reasoning was because it would strengthen, help strengthen my math, math skills. Um, oh, okay. okay. Yeah. So it really wasn't even like a just because she loves it, but it's going to help her with the granted. I'm sure she, you know, she saw something, but, uh-huh. you know, and, and through her experiences, but that was what my mom it stuck with my mom was it would help her with math. And um, I hate math, but <laughs> that's neither here nor there. But so anyway, for my fifth birthday, my grandmother bought me a baby grand piano, a 12 key baby grand piano. I still remember it like day. Mm-hmm seeing the box through the bag and she didn't hide it properly and whatever else. So anyway, um, so I was exposed to music very early, but also subconsciously. And that's why I say the subconscious is so powerful because radio um, was very like early on in like 90, early nineties, Kenya, when radio was, and we first got like FM signals and stuff like that. They'd play a lot of international music and you know that kind of gave people a glimpse into the international world and they really felt like oh we're listening to all this hip stuff so i my my nannies and the women who raised me you know were manual laborers you're cooking you're cleaning all day you know there's no tv so they used to listen to the radio all day long mm-hmm. guess who was around listening to the radio all day long with them <laughs> was me you know so anyway um and then also I had, I was raised, so my mom is like that cousin um, who had a child in that awkward in-between phase bet- before her cousins were having. So let's just say like her peers are maybe just now, like some of them starting to have kids or okay. their kids are like eight, nine, 10, I'm about to be 30. So like, you know, and she's also older in her generation. So I was raised by my extended family, uncles and aunts and my uncles were huge basketball fans, right? So they, you know, the what we could get our hands on from overseas like michael jordan highlight reel tapes or we would watch the same chicago bulls playoff runs on video, vcr you know what i mean over and over and over until the tape wouldn't play anymore uh-huh. <laughs> like so i've actually you know credited him a lot for really instilling again subconsciously and not on purpose instilling that love for you know the sport to me so fast forward, we moved to the U.S., to Dallas when I was about mm, nine years old, December 31st, 1999, actually. Um, yeah, oh, clearly missed the whole Y2K planes resetting midair situation <laughs> because we forget that was a thing, right? Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> so, you know, I moved to the U.S., same thing, you know, uh, just growing up, 11, 12, I become a Dallas Mavericks ball girl. So... All I remember is seeing a commercial, yeah, seeing a commercial about how the ball girls got picked or ball kids got picked from attending basketball camp. That was my sole motivation for attending basketball camp. It was not because I wanted to be an excellent basketball player. I just wanted the opportunity to be able to, and I I honestly don't even know why it is I wanted it. I just thought it was cool, Mm -hmm. you know? So we go to basketball camp. Um, I become a ball girl. I do that for six years up until I was 18 years old. Um, and obviously, so on the music side in high school, I was always in the choirs, orchestras, this plays, dancing. Like I just always been a creative. Yeah. Um, and I, you know, I thought I wanted to be a singer or a pop star at some point, like the whole nine. 
like yeah. most of us. <laughs> but so then again, I've always existed in this duality. I've always existed in this duality of sports and entertainment. Yeah. I mean, very recently, some of my friends who were on the basketball team when I was in high school sent me a picture of like I I used to make warm up CDs for the team. Like I used to make mixtapes for my friends. So like these are not things that I I was just doing it because I loved it, you yeah. know. Um. But in retrospect, it's like, hmm, okay. So, again, and then obviously in retrospect too, working behind the scenes as a ball girl for eight, six odd years really showed me that there were a lot more, there was a lot more muscle involved in the production of a basketball game than just players, you know, and really gained an appreciation for that. And maybe because too, as a ball girl, I felt like I had, it was a really cool job, but it's obviously seemingly menial. Like, I went before when players fall. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? But I also go to every NBA game for free. Yeah. So, you, know, <laughs> you, you really can't knock me, you know? And so there was a, a, another value kind of shed light to me on in terms of everybody's tapped, no matter how small, is integral, you know? So then I go to college, and I went to Marquette, coincidentally, another big basketball school. Mm-hmm. Uh, all of my employment was with the athletics department. And I started understanding how much money college athletics brings in and then just basketball and those productions. And I mean, I was at this point, you know, I was really um, obsessed with like the business side of sports because I was like, oh, wow, like this really is a business business. And I oh, remember, yeah. I mean, I wrote a re- I wrote a research paper about the commercializ- the commercialization of college sports, but this was in high school. Then in college, oh. I wrote about the... <laughs> <laughs> then in college, I wrote about um, the the lack of female executives in the NBA. It was called Women Can Jump. You know what I mean? Or why women can jump, something like that. I don't know. Um, and I actually it's got to really meet, ironically... <laughs> You know what? I really do. And I was just, no, I will. I'll literally share it with you only because, too, I was really inspired by Dr. Richard Lapchick, who's this story, like, right, storied, storied professor who teaches at UCF. And I met him very recently, but I met him in the presence of our current CEO, who's the first black female CEO of a sports team. So just being able to, like, it was just a very, spiritual moment nonetheless and you know yeah. <laughs> um his his grad program is only available in person so i'm like you can't do it online. Oh, okay. that's the only catch you have to go yeah. to ucf to do it but it's the institute of anyway so i was really in love with this stuff at the same time i was interning at with record labels remotely and running guerrilla marketing programs and like everything there was to do hands-on i've done literally you know um and so fast forward i met you know i was fortunate enough to build a relationship with the current WNBA player scholar dick smith who you know gave me a platform to tour with her as the dj for her personal um basketball camp um and i just kind of used that platform to build a brand and a name for myself surrounding you know mm-hmm being able to provide music at live sporting events even if it was just her camp at the time but as time would have it, actually, it's like a little known fact, but before I moved from Milwaukee, I auditioned to be the Milwaukee Bucks DJ Okay. Um, at, at like 22. And that was the first time I was really made aware of how this really works, you know? 
and I would have been their first ever DJ. <laughs> I mean, you know, yeah. this is a young field. Like Irie, the Miami Heat DJ, who's regarded really as one of the first people to give the team DJ a face is 20 years in the game. So it's pretty young. So yeah, so um, the relationship with Skylar ended up manifesting later on even further when her WNBA team, the Tulsa Shock, moved to Dallas and are now the Dallas Wings. So I, you know, was able to, um, polit- not necessarily politic, but work my way into the organization and be their team DJ once they relocated and what else and uh yeah then a friend of mine again just to as a testament to the company that you keep right childhood friend of mine was like well you work with Mavs you know you should send them an email a cold email somebody and just you know clue them into what you're doing and where you are now and ask if there may be opportunities for you you know with them and I did and what I did was I looked up their staff directory and tried to find a a name that I could remember or recall from my mm-hmm. tenure there. And I did this. The CMO at the time was the PR intern when I was a ball girl. And talk about, right. yeah. <laughs> so I reached out to her yep. and you know, <laughs> she responded. And right at the time, they didn't need me, but um, there wasn't a position available. But within two months, the position had become vacant. And I guess, you know, I was I was fresh on the, on the brain. Here we are for years later and a lot of people always ask me like okay so what was what was that training like the training was you come to work with gruber gruber he's a stars dj he's a former Mavs dj uh-huh. and you watch him work a game for three preseason games and then the and then fourth right. game you take you take over you oh know? my god that is some intense so. you know throwing being thrown in the pool kind of training <laughs> oh yeah best way to learn that's that's the best yeah. way that i love the best to learn so, yeah, that and that's how true. I kind of got here. That's yeah. amazing. That, so yeah. I've identified three very key things that I, I feel uh-huh. like a lot of people would resonate with. And the first uh-huh. you mentioned is what systems are in place to help you realize mm-hmm. this? The second thing is the subconscious is very powerful. Uh, these are things that you're being exposed to either very early on or maybe just, you know, in passing, what have you. You mentioned yeah. just being around the radio 24-7. Yeah. That is something that you built just like this affinity for. And then yeah. that being articulated differently, um, either through through music, um, mm-hmm. either like playing an instrument or learning to play an instrument. And then mm-hmm. really that transpiring into being like a team DJ. But mm-hmm. the thing that fascinates me the most is how you're able to work in the intersection of all the things that you love. Like, I mean, you're athletic. You're creative, like you're musical. I mean, you combined all those things. And I can't remember if this is the third or the fourth. I'm just going to say the third. The third thing that's very important, and you kind of shied away from this, but I don't think you should. You said (laughs) that you were able to politic around. I mean, it is what it is. Um, Whether or not you call it networking, politicking, um, really. Whatever you want to call it. Whatever you want to call it. It is yeah. what it is. And connections are very powerful, but it's not the superficial connection of like, oh, hey, mm-hmm. who do you know? Because we all know how mm-hmm. far that goes. Um, it's really just building the true human relationships because that's, mm-hmm. what, that's what got you your start was just being able to, to, like you said, weave yourself into the early stages of that, that team when you were at Marquette. 
and when you were still in Milwaukee and then eventually mm -hmm. when you're in Dallas. So those, mm -hmm. so those qualities are extremely important. And I, a lot of people don't really realize that. And so when you put all that together, it's, yeah, yeah that's amazing. I appreciate you saying that though, because you know, it's, it is funny. It's the one thing I don't like to talk about a lot, but maybe it is something that you talk about more and mm -hmm. that, you know, we do need to be taught how to leverage our relationships. You know what I mean? And I think that as women, you know, as minority women, there are certain demographics that aren't, that um, are not, I wouldn't say, as privy to how, like, you know, the old boys club really works. You know what I mean? And it's, it's, it's not to say that there's anything wrong with what, how they've done it. It's to say that we need to do it more like that. You know what I mean? Where mm -hmm. it's a it's a communal pool of resources. You know. Right. However, there is some sort of accountability to that. Like, in order for you to have access to this, you have to be able to give. You know, there's a there's an equal give and take. You right. know, and so I don't think that we should even shun. You know, those quote unquote. You know, tables that we haven't mm -hmm. set at. We really just need to create our own and use the exact same methodology because yes. it's no secret. You know. Yes. I'm so glad you brought that up. You mentioned the old boys club, but you know what? In our own way, you know, there has yeah. to be another, there has to be another term coined for that, for what you just. <laughs> the old girl club, the old girls club. Like, exactly. We're just over here coining all the terms, like literally. <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, this is, it's, it's 100% true. And I think, I mean, what, to what you were speaking about earlier, a lot of people do shy away from that concept, either because they're not exposed to it or they're not, they don't realize how important that is until much later on. Um, yeah. I would say like within- well, it's the basis that our industry is built on. It's crazy. Cause now I think about it like, again, 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 again. It's that whole notion of how did you get where you are? No, why are we even still asking this question? It's because the information is not out there. It's because we're not mm -hmm. talking about, you know, I, I cold emailed a whole company roster or, you know, my friend's dad works here. So I asked him to give me a recommendation letter. I think, one of the things that really touched me about the eulogy that Kobe Bryant's agent gave at his funeral was that the last conversation that he had with him was Kobe trying to get a, like the coaches of the Altabelli, I believe, Mr. Altabelli, his daughter, um, mm -hmm. an internship. You know what I mean? And it's like, the person who could make the call, like any call out of all the calls in the world is still making calls. You know what I mean? And the assumption is that people are too busy, too great, too proud to, and I've, I've had to overcome a, a healthy dose of, of um, pride mm -hmm. and a healthy dose of fear, you know, mm -hmm. because yeah. when you come from where I come from, and I wouldn't say, I mean, I, I grew up pretty average, you know what I mean? Maybe even below average, to be honest, but, the fear of asking, yeah, you know what I mean, the fear of asking is real, and I'm still trying to figure out, yeah, what where that seed was planted, mm -hmm. you know, because it's deep. Absolutely, yeah. yeah, you're definitely not the only one. I mean, we've, I personally, I am speaking from my personal experience, and also speaking with a lot of other people, um, mm -hmm. also you know, female minorities that are, you know, it's really just what are where do these seeds of doubt come from and how do we mm -hmm. unlearn these things? And mm -hmm. what, again, if you, even if you didn't have a system in place, let's say growing up, mm -hmm. how do we create these systems 
with mm-hmm. each other or like how do we create these systems so that we know which questions to ask and then mm-hmm. you know then after after figuring out what questions to ask how to not be afraid to ask them and mm-hmm. so i think that's crucial that's and so you've identified a lot of different things that have a lot of different use cases yeah 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 so no that's so that this is really deep (laughs) but i just got real deep real quick (laughs) i but i really appreciate you bringing this up no honestly i mean um no this has been really really refreshing and I, i mean i have 10 billion questions for you but I mean, we're gonna save that for the next one. Um, this just- we can turn this into a whole series because I love how I, I, I honestly am very grateful for conversations yeah. with you because I, I know we all have that the things that we're that are strengths, but we also have like our you know non strong suits. And I think while while I'm great at analyzing everybody else, I'm I'm not as great as analyzing myself. No, absolutely. And That's it's, where it's not until. Yeah, yeah, you know, it's not until, you know, sometimes whether where you either, you know, reframe my thoughts or, you know, um, or, you know, catch on to something in my dialogue and then regurgitate it back to me. And I'm like, oh, did I really, I did say that, you know what I mean? And this and that. Um, holding mm-hmm. up a mirror to one another is, is amazing. It's it's so healthy, you know, it's, it's right. healthy and it's productive and I'm grateful for that. Absolutely. So I want to leave you with this thought. And you, of course, you don't have to answer this right now. And it's just, just something yeah. to ponder on. And yeah. it goes back to what you were saying before with um, being, able to, being able to help um, localized communities based on the talent and the skills and the willingness that you have and allowing people to do it in their own way. And it's... Mm-hmm. You know how can we how can we start that conversation and how do we make that less scary or at least more accessible to people who actually may not really be they may not be thinking of that right now right at this very moment but mm-hmm. when the opportunity comes up and they have the opportunity to actually make that difference even mm-hmm. though it might be small in the beginning but cumulatively mm-hmm. everyone mm-hmm. would do that in their own way i wonder mm-hmm. I mean, what has to happen for, for all that change to happen? And what has to, where do we have to start? And who do we have to talk to, 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 to try to make this a real thing, right? Um, mm-hmm. And especially starting with creatives, because I really feel mm-hmm. like that's where, that's where a lot of the opportunity is. And that's where mm-hmm. a lot of people can be free to ask these questions and mm-hmm. really tie together, like, the more, the more technical experience and the more... Mm-hmm like business oriented experience and then you get the creative and so on and so forth. And how do we bring all these different things together so that we can, you know, make an impact and create, um, you know, create a difference in our communities in our own ways. So Mm -hmm. that's a very long one. (laughs) No, I, and I love it. And definitely we can definitely expand on it more. And I I mean, but just to kind of um, sum it all up, I think the focus would be on the two places that, arguably most of our society spends their 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 cumulative days which would be school and work mm-hmm. um, education education system and an employment place places of employment because um ideally we're all molded to go out into the world and you know think right. for our existence and whatever by getting a job or a career 
mm-hmm. and we and and how we get there is through this education system because everything you is ever you know everything you've ever been told is go to this school and go to do this and do this and do this and work hard and get good grades and do this so right. you can go to uh, college and then you know yeah. in college da, 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 you can go to a good college and the college you go to that depends on this 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 and that will determine where you go to work you know what i mean it's like this this pipeline that yep. takes up so much of our existence our day-to-day lives has to be reevaluated. you know exactly especially um, at a time like now i mean a lot of these things are shifting and so it's not going to look the same as it did before so we should stop looking to try to make it the way it was before <laughs> so and yeah. I read Ariana Huffington posted something or somebody posted something that, you know, she had said and that I've been, I think we've all been thinking is it would be such a disservice to our whole entire existence if we went back to normal, whatever. Yeah. Like normal clearly was not working. You know what I mean? And right. so to go back to something that isn't working or to repeatedly do something that we know is wrong is, I guess, also commonly known as insanity. So you know <laughs> expecting a different result that is to, right. you know so right. um you know i see companies like i've seen you know s- reports that you know jeff dorsey has made working from home you know a, a an option forever <laughs> you know what i mean and it's like ah, oh, like well we're having we're having to do it now so what was it before that requires for us to be in the space at the same time for you to monitor my productivity or is this healthy for an organization? Is this healthy for your, really the health, the health. And it's funny that we're all at home because of our health, the health of your employees and the health of your students and the health of everybody is really what's most important. Right. And health, not only being physical health, obviously, but, health even in terms of like you said um you know the health of of my my assessment of you know am i being valued am i am i feeling like i'm contributing to just your bottom line or are you equipping me to be able to change not only my personal life my family's life but then the 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 situations are affect are you empowering me to affect my communities you know Mm -hmm. Um, so yeah, I would say starting with evaluating the education system as well as, you know, a lot of corporate entities evaluating, um, themselves as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I love that. Are you empowering me to, to, to give back to my community or to, are you empowering me to impact my community positively, mm-hmm. essentially? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Because that could be interpreted in so many different like right. aspects of being a you know an employee so to speak so exactly yeah exactly well this was an amazing conversation thank you so much ivy it's always You're so awesome to talk to you um <laughs> again we're gonna we're gonna definitely have to turn this into a series like believe I'm me this is not the big call we're having <laughs> I, no and i'm happy to like this is a level of uh i have to say that there does it's now being a creative i will say there's a there's a flip side to that because people stick you into that oh she's a creative bubble and somehow creative and um intellectual are not always regarded as being the same oh because as a fallacy (laughs) right as a creative you're always like oh she's weird and out there but weird and out there (laughs) 
somehow never also, you know, correlated with she might actually be intelligent. And, you know, so very rarely do I, not very rarely, but I'm seeking to have more intellectually stimulating conversations that don't require <laughs> people picking at my input, my right. creative input. You no, know? exactly. Exactly. So. And I'm sure so many people are saying the same exact thing. That's it for this week's episode of Inner Wealth. I hope you enjoyed our conversation and that you'll join us next week as we continue to explore all the ways success is being redefined in our ever-changing world. Be sure to subscribe, rate, and review our podcast on your favorite podcast app. And follow us on Instagram at Forbes Ignite for more thought-provoking content and opportunities to engage with us. I'm your host, Nicole Kakal. Thanks for joining us.